Good morning. I'm sure, as Adam has said, um, I'm here self-isolating. Um, unfortunately, unable to be with you this morning. Um, I'm afraid I'm stuck here in my front room with my camera and my tripod. Uh, not as good as being with you, but still hoping to enjoy uh, Romans chapter 12 together. Um, I'm sure for many of us, one thing that we've learned, if we didn't already know it, is that we all long for community. We all can't wait to get back away from these restrictions and out of uh, lockdown to get to see friends and family and to feel in touch with people again. But I guess more than just social contact, deep down each of us, we yearn for a community that knows us, that accepts us and that loves us, you know? Friends and family who will love us no matter how annoying we can sometimes be. No matter where we've come from or what we look like or no matter what our marital status is or what we earn. You know, friends and family who will, who will love us no matter what our body shape is or our age or how polished or otherwise our social media presence might be. We want those that will stick with us through thick and thin. And what I want to suggest to you this morning after we look at and have read Romans chapter 12 is that the only place that such a genuine community is possible is the church. A church like this one, like ours, that follows Jesus Christ by seeking to understand and live by the Bible. This sort of authentic kindness and, and true tolerance that we yearn for can, can really only come from the, the supernatural love that only God can generate in and through those who have personally experienced his grace and mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, there's going to be places where we can find genuine love and, and friendships, our work colleagues, university friends, and of course, our, our family. And it is true, isn't it, that sadly, some churches are not places that are safe. They're places of backbiting and gossip, where, where the, the, the mercy of God and the experience of the gospel hasn't taken hold of the so-called believers. But that said, the only place where, where we can be truly loved and accepted for who we are and who we're created to be across all social barriers and differences and difficulties is the family of God. It's here in God's family where, where, where salvation through, through Christ's self-sacrifice on the cross transforms and generates in us such an awareness of God's mercy and a new power and desire to show love in all and every circumstance. That's what we see here in Romans chapter 12. If you're here this morning or you're, or you're tuning in and, and you're not yet a Christian, then we invite you to consider this portrait of the church family, the kind of community that, that you could be a part of, a, a community that the gospel of Jesus Christ produces in and through those who follow him. And if you want to track back and find out more, then please log in to our new Christianity Explored course that starts this Wednesday, the 21st of April. And for those of us who are already Christians here this morning, may this passage be a challenge, but, but also a reminder of why it's such a wonderful thing to be part of God's family. I trust we see his mercy this morning in these verses and that we bring it to bear on our attitudes and our actions here at Crescent. 
So, so the big idea, the, the goal of our passage is that we become people, a community that's marked with authentic love in all directions. Authentic love in all directions. And the passage sort of loosely breaks into two. In verses number 9 to 16, we see this authentic love within the Christian community. And then in verse 14 and 17 through 21, this authentic love in the face of our enemies. Now, for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to leave verse 14 and 17 to 21, the authentic love in the face of our enemies, and and leave that for your own consideration as we focus our time on verses 9 through 16. And in this short section, Paul gives us 20 short exhortations for what this love as a Christian community will look like. And of course, the you know, the simple thing about this passage is that it can be read in, in a couple of minutes and, and understood in, in maybe only a few minutes more. But the real challenge is going to be to live it out. And so I'm intentionally trying to be practical this morning and I invite us to think practically as we consider these short exhortations. Rather than them being some sort of random instructions, John Stott rightly calls these little staccato statements the Apostles' Recipe for Love. I really like that. The Apostles' Recipe for Love. And that clearly is the theme. You may be picked up as we had the passage read to us, as both love and one another are, are mentioned multiple times. And so if you drop your eye, you look in verse number nine, you'll see that Paul sets up this list, this, this recipe, if you like, with this foundational call to love in verse number nine. You know, if you think about it, there's so many different ways that, that Paul might have described this love that we're to have as a Christian community. Let your love be so high, you can't get over it. So wide, you can't get around of it. So low, you can't get under it. And that is good, but... First and foremost, he starts here. He says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Literally, love without hypocrisy. Let love be authentic, the real deal, not fake. Love must be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, of course, has that idea of, of play acting, of of performance, of a mask, something for the stage. Our selfish self presenting us as something different on the outside than what's on the inside. And I think Paul starts off with this because he's acutely aware that this causes fatal damage to our love for one another. Hypocrisy is the the biggest and most deadly enemy to our love. And so it must be without hypocrisy, in order to be real, genuine, authentic. Hypocrisy, you know, it's so infectious, isn't it? It it, it can infect itself so easily. I want everyone to think I'm great, I'm better. And so maybe it's in subtle ways. I, I point out the speck in someone else's eye while ignoring the log in my own. We're quick to talk about others' weakness and, and flaws and, and tensions and, and maybe under the pretense of even care and affection, but we get prickly and defensive and angry when those same flaws and sins are pointed out in our own lives. Real love, authentic love just doesn't act that way. 
or maybe for, for other of us, we, you know, we, we can perform what, what looks like loving behavior, but it, it doesn't really represent what's going on internally in our heart. We want others maybe to say, well, well aren't they kind? Aren't they accomplished? But it's really just for glory, for reputation. It's not coming from a heart of love for Christ and for others. Hypocrisy, it, it, it sort of infects us so easily. Remember what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is very much like a parallel passage to this in Romans chapter 12. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, for me, as someone who, who sort of lacks the, the natural ability of any other love language other than just doing stuff, this little verse always rebukes me. You know, I can be kind, I can do nice stuff, I can even do really big sacrificial stuff. And yet, it can be love with a false mask. Not the real thing. Love must be without hypocrisy. This is it, first and foremost, brothers and sisters, this morning. Be to each other how God has loved us in Christ. You just consider the genuineness of God's love, its faithfulness and its consistency. Jesus Christ, the, the purest, most honest life of sincere love. There was no pretense, no selfish ambition, no hint of hypocrisy. It was sheer, pure, unadulterated love. Can we love each other like that? With a humility that admits that we've got logs to take out of our own eyes? With affection that wants the other person's good and becomes self-forgetful. Think on this authentic, genuine love of God in Christ Jesus to us. And then we can love each other to such an extent that we feel safe. That we have nothing to prove, nothing to hide and nothing to lose. Let love be genuine. So, so, so that... First statement, if you like, in this recipe is like the foundation. And then Paul goes on to flesh this out throughout the following verses. So look down again at verse number nine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, this abhor what is evil, it may seem like a contradiction, but, but real love will strongly hate what is evil and hold firm and value what is good. Of course, this reflects the very character of God himself. You know, we cannot say we love peace and harmony and not also then hate jealousy and gossip. And the, the language here is so intense. It's the idea of, a, of sort of vomiting up the evil. It won't be tolerated. It, it will not be entertained. It's despised. And in contrast, authentic love will cleave to that which is good. Like a husband leaves his wife and cleaves to her, united with affection, adhered together with like the strongest of glue to what is good, wholesome, life-giving. So how do we do this? Well, what is good and, and what is evil? You know, they're objective truths, aren't they? Scripture makes it clear what is of God, what is good and what is not. And the challenge for us is to align our our emotional response then, our hatred, our love for, to these objective things. And 
It's easier, isn't it, in the cold light of day, sitting here with scripture open, to knowingly yeah, nod our head at what is evil, being contemptible and despicable. But the challenge is, of course, isn't it, in, in other circumstances, it doesn't seem so repulsive. In fact, it seems attractive. It's easier to lose our temper and say every word that pops into our head in the moment of anger. It's more attractive in the moment of pressure to try and take the shortcut, to say the half-truth, to lead someone in a deception, to get out of a sticky spot. So it's, it's now, with Scripture open, that we need to build our hatred for evil and our holding on to that which is good so that when we're in the heat of battle, we, we, we have built that response to, to vomit away that which is evil and abhorrent and to, to hold on tightly to that which is good. Imagine if we were known not only for authentic love, but a, an authentic, you know, genuine love, which had like unpeachable goodness attached to it. And surely that would, you know, point people to the Lord Jesus. Look then down in verse number 10, love one another with brotherly affection, literally sibling affection. Paul here uses the language of family for our authentic love. I work with my sisters in our family business. I'm not 100% sure if that makes it easier or harder for me to understand this verse correctly. But while we don't always get the sibling affection thing right, and certainly there are more arguments and tears in our boardroom than the average, the biggest thing that we experience in a family business is that loyal commitment to each other's good. It's a, it's a given. There's a supreme trust, a security that we're in this together. You know, I, you know, I, I know how to, touch, to push their buttons, but if anybody else comes as so much as to breathe on the buttons, then they're going to have to go through us together. And I wonder if we think about how we feel about our closest siblings, those who we trust, you know, just trust implicitly, who, who we would have their back, we would support them, whatever the cost would be. Those who you know you can just land in on them at a moment's notice, you can drop off the kids, you can call them up. The family sibling affection... What if we took that attitude and applied it to our church family? How would that look? I reckon we could build a, a net of support, of trust, that wouldn't let anyone slip through. Sure, our relationships wouldn't always look the easiest, and nor the most comfortable between us, and neither are we going to be intensely close all the time, but we do have the same Heavenly Father. We, we have the same saviour. We came in via the same cross. We received the same mercy. We're going to the same home. We're indwelled by the same spirit. And so there ought to be a tenderness, an affection, a, a trust and a mutual commitment that the bond of Christ and, and the family of God has made for us. I believe I, you know, I speak and for and on behalf of our home group when I say that we have found this there and maybe even in particular over the last year it has been a place of warmth and, and kindness and prayer a place of affection and scripture and support 
we've actually found that meeting online, we've maybe actually become slightly less repressed and a little bit more like siblings. And when trouble has threatened some of us, then it has become a place of refuge beyond just the, the fortnightly meeting on Zoom. So maybe for you, there's, there's no better, better place to start than with a home group. Can I commend them to you strongly? I wonder if you're not yet a member. If that's the case, there's a group that needs you. Contact Johnny McGee, get in touch with one of the elders and, 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 and get signed up and get involved. And if you're on the books of a home group and they're still able to meet online, if it's possible, practically, why not make it a priority for the final two months of the term when we'll be considering the final section of Romans together to, to, to commit to be there. To consider it a place both to, to give and also a space to receive this sibling affection of support and commitment for one another. And the, the second half of verse number 10, outdo one another in showing honour. You know, such a difference, isn't it? When love isn't involved, then we want to outdo each other. But now we follow a saviour who became dishonoured so that we might be shown honour. Certainly then, in following his footsteps, wouldn't we want to show honour and respect and consideration to all who have received his grace? I do one another in showing honour. Quickly then, moving on to, to, to verse number 11. Authentic love isn't cold or indifferent. This genuine love gets to work. And in verse number 11, there's two phrases that describe how we are to serve the Lord. Firstly, negatively, do not be slothful in zeal. Literally, no laziness in earnest. And the opposite is stated positively, be fervent in spirit. The root of that word fervent is connected to where we get uh, the word boil. Be fervent, be, be boiling, be burning up in spirit. Reject the ease of inactivity. And in our inner beings, in, in our spirits, working in partnership with the Spirit of God, fuel a burning passion, a raging fire. And that raging fire is controlled and put to work specifically, as Paul says at the end of the verse, serve the Lord. You know, it's tempting, isn't it, to become passive and lethargic, especially perhaps you've got a few miles on the clock and you've had a few knockbacks on the Christian pathway. Christ knows that our passions can cool. And perhaps over time, the enemy has used boredom or apathy or the oh-so-easy cynicism just to turn down that inner boiler. What is it for, for, that has caused me to, to shrink back from passionate service for the Lord Jesus? When I thought about this verse, I couldn't help but think of she who broke the alabaster flask of ointment and anointed the Saviour's feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And he said, her sins, which were many, uh, are forgiven because she loved much. I wonder if we consider this morning the, 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 the depths of which the mercy of God had to stoop to rescue us. Would it start to stoke up in us that fiery passion that can be focused and, and useful in the master's service? 
as we remember the extent of the forgiveness that we have received. In verse number 12 then, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. We get this prescription, rejoice in hope and patient in tribulation, both in chapter 5 and in chapter 8. Christian joy is fueled by a certain hope. We can endure pressure because we know God's love has been revealed. Uh, Our new life is secure through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here Paul adds, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know, it reminds us that prayer doesn't naturally happen. Too often our confidence in ourselves, our self-sufficiency blinds us to our utter need and dependence on God and God's mercy and prayer falls by the wayside. In our home life, in our work life, in our personal life, even in our church life, we too often don't take prayer seriously. And I often find it's, it's not until I really sense my need that I turn to God in prayer. And often that isn't a comfortable feeling. But perhaps if we, we look at what Paul says here in verse number three, do not think of himself do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Then that humility, that sense of our right standing would energize this consistency in prayer. Quickly moving on to verse number 13. Two beautiful and practical fruits of this genuine love, generosity and hospitality. Firstly, Paul says, contribute or help with the needs of the saints. And of course, it's sort of natural reading. It's understood to to mean to give practically and financially. And after 11 chapters of detail on the gospel of God and seeing God as the great giver, it's a fitting response, isn't it, that we follow and are called to be givers. And many of you have done this faithfully for many years. And so keep it up. Praise God. But other of us may need to consider how we currently deploy our finances. Giving financially is vital, not only for the work of the gospel, but also for our own spiritual good and growth. So for what it's worth, my advice, direct debit, if it can be done, is best. Generosity, an authentic mark of love. Secondly, seek to show hospitality. Note that it's not just show hospitality, but seek to show hospitality. There's an activity, there's a, a pursuit, an initiative here. And Rome, very much like Belfast, as a capital city, received a lot of visitors and students and business placements. And obviously, as COVID reduces, we're going to see that coming back again, where we become a much more mobile society. And so there's going to be a need for an active attitude of hospitality. And of course, don't misunderstand. It's not primarily about keeping up the the famous Northern Irish hospitality of a a, a massive fancy spread with the good china in the good room. But it's about lovingly welcoming others just as God has lovingly welcomed us. Now naturally we're we're out of practice and as things begin to open up safely, there's lots of ways that, that we can see this already happening in our church family and more and more ways for us to get involved. Offering to meet someone for a coffee in the open air, going for a walk, Providing tangible care with parcels of doorsteps for our brothers and sisters or our neighbours who are unwell. 
And if there's someone you don't recognize at the service, say hello, ask their name, commit it to memory. Be seeking to show hospitality as the opportunities arise. Dropping down then to verse number 15. Here's a couple of concrete indications of love within the community. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, we're able to weep with those who weep unlike anyone else in this world. Like Jesus himself in John chapter 11, moments before he calls Lazarus from the tomb, he would feel the weight of sin's impact on the goodness of life and with empathy and zeal, Jesus wept. And as we thought about on Easter morning, Jesus meets Mary in the moment of her despair and through the swollen eyes of tears, he brought the hope of resurrection life. And we can do those two things. We can comfort and affirm that the, the reality of the pain and the sadness that sin has brought into this world and we can weep with those who weep and we can bring comfort with, with the hope of a renewal that has come in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can weep with those who weep like nobody else. But perhaps more difficult is the other side, isn't it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. How many of us have an in, in, inclination to, to envy at the rejoicing of others? Our instinct, perhaps particularly here in the UK, is you know, to keep them humble, to pour a little cold water on someone's rejoicing. But how often does that really just reveal that underlying sense of competition that pollutes and our love with hypocrisy? Are we thrilled that the grace of God displayed in the lives of others? Because we can be. We're reminded that God is kind when we see others rejoice and we can then rejoice with them. Finally, as we close, verse number 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live in harmony with one another. We're all different, aren't we? And earlier in this passage, Paul has pointed out that that is good and healthy and exactly the design because we're a body, we're all different parts. But around Christ and his word, there is a unity of thinking, of devotion, of service. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be arrogant. I mean, how simple, but how hard. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Are we a community that asks each other to pray? I just wonder sometimes if there's just a touch of a cultural arrogance that we're afraid to ask for prayer with things in which we have needs. Could you help pray for us as we discipline our children? Could you help pray for us as we try and make time to read the Bible together? Can you help and pray for us because we're struggling with contentment and dissatisfaction at the moment. I wonder if it's possible that our, our not wanting to sort of burden each other is actually covering an arrogance. Genuine love has no arrogance. Associate with the lowly. It's tempting, isn't it, to, to spend time with those we think will get us further, that will advance our own agenda or our own reputation, but seek out opportunities to give to those who can't give back. Never be wise in your own sight. 
is the final exhortation of the 20. And we sort of come back to where Paul had started in verse number three. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you should. And as we have went through this gospel, or through this uh, letter that proclaims the gospel, Paul forcefully argues that our righteousness, our standing before God, is from faith to faith in verse number, uh, chapter one. It, it, it's through faith for all who believe in chapter three. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He has been at pains to point out that, that we all come at the same level. We all receive the, the same mercy, the same grace. We all come through faith. And so this gospel announcement in this letter has swung through our pride like a wrecking ball. There is no room for boasting. No room for hypocrisy in our love. Let love be genuine because we all stand here simply through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So we're done. Take time later to consider verses 17, 21 and verse number 14 to see how our authentic love in the face of our enemies can surmount evil by doing good. But we don't have any more time this morning to consider that. I know it's a long list and there's a, a reason why there's 11 chapters that come before this list. As we saw last week, this is simply the fruit of our faith in the proclamation of the good news of what God has done. It's our res reasonable response, our, our life of worship. I, I want to finish by quoting Francis Schaeffer, who, who said our love is the final apologetic, the ultimate evidence, if you like, that the gospel is true. The watching, wondering world needs to see it. Not merely just good and kind people, but to see the gospel at work in our community. Hospitality, generosity, sympathy, harmony, humility, affection. All these things that we've considered. This is what the gospel does in us and through us as a church family. Authentic, genuine love in all direction. Let's pray. Father, we praise you again this morning for your mercy poured out when we were undeserved, when we were far, when we were enemies, when we were ungodly. That's when Christ died for us. We praise you for your initiative in stepping to us in the gospel. We thank you. And we pray that as we consider your mercy, consider what you have done for us, that it will take root in our heart in our attitudes and in our actions. And we ask it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen.